you please uh, open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's found on page 962. And we're nearing the end of uh, 1 Corinthians, and we have one, possibly two more sermons left in, in this series. But we're going to have to wait until November uh, to finish up this letter, because next week, as Nathan has mentioned, uh, Lynn and I are going to be out of town, and Nathan will be preaching for us in the early in the morning service. And then in two weeks, on October 30th, Lord willing, I'm going to preach a Reformation Day sermon. So, and then, as Nathan mentioned, in lieu of the evening service, we will actually have our fellowship outside, and I'm looking forward to that as well. That's a a, a good, joyful time that we have for the last 40 years, right, Kathy, of uh, Reformation Day. So last week we looked at verses 13 and 14, which say, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. And I mentioned that these two verses really summarize the application that's given in this entire letter. These verses give us the principles really that keep us as Christians uh, distinct. We keep us to be distinct from the world, keep us from being assimilated, uh, from being indoctrinated into the world's philosophies. Well, today we're going to see these principles put into place. We're going to look at these three men. We're going to look at this family that embodies these verses. These men were watchful. They did stand firm. They were strong. And above everything else, they did everything in love. Love guided their actions. So 1 Corinthians 16, verses 15 through 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Let's pray. Lord, would you pray that your spirit will be with us as we look at your word. Lord, we pray that you will speak to us through this word. Father, we pray that our encounter with this word will change us. Lord, we will not be the same. Lord, we pray that we will see you. We will see Christ. Christ will be glorified this time. I pray for your Holy Spirit to be with me and to speak your words as I preach these, these words. And I pray, Father, you will be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I want you to, to take a moment right now and think about a person that you admire. It could be anyone. It could be from anywhere, for any time throughout history, any field. It could be a, a businessman. It could be an a athlete, an entertainer, a politician. And think about that person, a person that you would want to be, someone that would be a role model for you, a hero. And think, really, about a specific person. And chances are the person that you're thinking of is a, a famous person, a person that... Uh, many of us would recognize that name, most, uh, most likely a person that you've never met or known personally. <clears throat> Let me give you an example. There's a Facebook uh, group for ruling elders and teaching elders. And about a month ago, an elder posted a question asking the group members to list their favorite preacher or theologian, the preacher or theologian that most influenced their ministry. And what do you, what do you think the, the answers were? Well, they were, they were pretty typical. You have John Calvin, Martin Luther, Charles Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, John Piper, Tim Keller, and, and many other equally known men. And every answer, and there were dozens of answers, there were well-known Christian ministers and theologians. And, and 
these men listed, they are spiritual giants. There's no doubt about it. And I personally have learned much from, from their teachings and their books. But these are not my role models. These are not the men that have influenced me most in my ministry. My list would include people like Gordon Woolard or Chris Hutchinson or Harrison Spittler or Bill Ribbons or Douglas Kelly or John Curd or Rod Culbertson. Have you heard of any of these guys? You may have heard of a couple of them, but most of them you haven't heard of. My list would also include men like Jeremiah Pitts and Travis Campbell and Nathan Bolt and, and Jack Herndon and, and Mike Wright, men that I've served with, that I know. And I'm sure you know some of those names, too. I hope you know some of those names. But men that I've served with on sessions and, and presbyteries. See, the men who have influenced me most, who have been my role models, are men that I know personally and men that personally know me. And it's not just their preaching. It's not just their theology, although it is, it, is, it is mighty. That's not what affected me. But it's also their character. And if I were not limiting my roles, models to my own field of, of theology and, and preaching, there would be dozens of people on my list. People whose character and competency and compassion have deeply shaped my lives. Not the least of these, my own family members, my wife and my, my kids and my parents and my siblings. And none of those who have, have influenced me the most are famous by the world's standards. But you see, we live in a world that is obsessed with celebrity. And I think this is why when we think about our role models, our heroes, we immediately think of those who are famous, those who are well-known, everyone would recognize. <clears throat> and we measure our value and the value of others by being well-known. And things like social media, this just fuels this obsession with, with counting our followers and our likes and, and, and our friends and so forth. Now, some people are, are, are famous and role models for no other reason that God has blessed them with athletic ability. They can excel at playing a game, whether it's baseball or, or football or basketball. And some others, because they are good at pretending to be someone else on the screen. They are actors, famous actors. And, and we see them as, as heroes. And I remember hearing a story about a, a famous baseball player uh, visiting a, a, a large church and, the, and the, uh, the pastor making a beeline who wanted to meet this, uh, this uh, famous uh, baseball player. Other churches, they actually have a VIP section right up front. The, the, regular, the, 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 the regular worshipers, they have to stay back, but the people who are movie stars and well-known, they get to sit in the VIP section. This is, this is not the way we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be um, concerned with status. I think James talks about that. We're not supposed to uh, make distinctions among people. And in this passage that we're looking at today, I think Paul tells us the type of people that we are to look at as role models, the type of people who should be our heroes. And the command that Paul gives here in verse 16, he says, be subject to such as these. This command is not to obey them. It's not talking about rulers. These men are not leaders in the church. They're not civil leaders. They don't have any formal authority. Be subject to here means learn from these men. Follow these men. Pattern your life after them. And these men are to be role models for the Corinthians. And both the Corinthians and we should attempt to be like these men. And we should live in a such a way that people will see us and want to emulate that as well. See, at the end of the day, the majority of us will not be famous. We will not be known beyond a small circle of people. We will not be remembered long after our death. But you know what? That is okay. That is okay. 
Because if we're a believer, if we know Jesus Christ, if we have been born again, then the only one, the only one that matters knows us. We are known by the Lord. And you see our perspective. Our perspective on what is really important will completely change in light of eternity. Jesus says that the first will be last and the last will be first. Matthew 19, 30. See, we'll see things so much differently in eternity. See, many, many who are now rich and famous and powerful and admired, they will be eternally separated from the living God. They will be separated from all that is good, all that is beautiful, all that is loving. They will be in the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is their eternal destiny. See how things are so completely changed. And even in heaven, even in the new heavens and new earths, there will be a complete reordering. The people who may appear to be great giants of the faith, they there, they may appear quite ordinary. Sadly, some of these that we see as great Christian leaders now will be proven to be goats rather than sheep and not even be there. But I'm quite certain that the true spiritual giants are not the names we all know. It's not the the Christian conference speakers. It's not the Christian celebrities. No, no. Those who will be most admired, I think, are the, the quiet saints. The ones that are known during this life only by a few. But they are known and they are loved mightily by their Lord. Their Lord who hears their fervent prayers and sees their faithful service. See, in glory, we, we all think that we want to first go meet all the, the, the famous Christians throughout history. I don't think this is, this is going to be the case. We already know much about these, these people. I think the real people we're going to want to first meet are those unknown heroes, those people like Stephanus and, and Fortunatus and Achaicus. See, nothing more is known about these men. They're only mentioned in this book. And Fortunatus and, and Achaicus are only mentioned in this one verse. But my friends, here's the exciting part. Here's the exciting part. While few of us will ever be famous in this life, few of us will ever have the extraordinary talent of a professional athlete or, or a movie star or be on the Forbes 400 list or, or be famous even just for being famous. Few of us will be this. But every single one of us, every single one of us can be an unknown hero. We can be a role model of faithfulness. Just like these, these men, like the men of, of, and, and women of Stephanus' household, his family, his wife, his children. Their names are not even listed in Scripture, but they are known by their Lord. And these are the types of people we should recognize. This is the instruction we're given at the end of verse 18. It says, give recognition to such as these people. And these are the types of people we should strive to be. So in this passage, Paul shows us the characteristics of these unknown heroes that we should seek to emulate, these people who should be our role model, we should strive to be like. And the three characteristics that we're going to look at today are, first, these unknown heroes are converted. They're converted. They're Christians. They're born again. That's first. Second, these unknown heroes are servants. They're not leaders. They're not teachers. They're not the mighty. They are servants. And third, these unknown heroes are an encouragement to others. They are encouraging. They refresh others. They don't drain them. They build others up. They don't tear them down. Others are better because of these unknown heroes. So let's go jump into this. First, these unknown heroes are converted. Take a look at verse 15. He says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. And as I mentioned, we don't know much about these people. 
that we have. We don't know much more than is listed in this verse. We don't know how many were in this household. We don't know if this was a, a, a nuclear family, extended family. We don't even know their names. But what we do know is the most important thing about these people. We know that they were converts. They were once pagan, and now they are Christian. They once were, were lost, and now they are saved. In the final analysis, this is the only distinction that matters. This is an eternal distinction. Many of you know the story of the, of the Titanic, the, the ship that set sail from, from Southampton over 100 years ago. And there was a wide variety of people on this ship. They came from every social strata in the society. They were the very wealthy. They were the famous. But there were also average people, and there were people who were very modest, people who were dirt poor on this ship. And the people in first class, they had private staterooms. They had, they had servants. The people in third class, they were given a hammock in a common area. So there was a, a huge difference between them when they were on board. But after the collision, when the Titanic hit the, the iceberg and, and sank, then when they were reporting on the, the passengers, there were only two lists. There were only two lists. There were a list of the saved and the list of the lost. That's it. And my friends, this is the ultimate category, the saved and the lost. And when we're looking for a role model, when deciding what we are to be like, the first consideration is we, that we want to make, we want to make sure that we are on that saved list. We want to make sure that we are right with God. We want to make sure that we belong to God, that we are new creations in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul describes the original condition of every single person. This describes every single person, every single one of us at one moment in our lives. And may even some people at this moment, hopefully not, but even at this moment in their lives. And listen to these words that Paul gives. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, this is the natural disposition of every single person when we enter this world. This is the natural disposition of the majority of people in the world today. The majority of the people that each of us know. This, is, this may be the disposition of some people sitting here, some people watching on the live stream. And this is a terrible position to be in. This is a horrible position to be in. But thankfully, thankfully God does not leave us in this situation. Because God takes the initiative. And at the proper time, according to his will... God calls his elect to himself. And continuing in Ephesians 2 and verse 4, Paul continues, But God, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of, of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And my friends, being converted, being converted is the most important thing, the most urgent need of every unregenerate person. See, fame, fortune, power, ease, comfort. 
None of these have eternal value whatsoever. They will be burned up. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It doesn't profit us at all. And this is the horrible, this is the tragic prospect for so many people, so many people that we know, so many people that we admire, so many people that we love. But being converted, being born again, being a new creation in Christ, being a Christian, this is the most important thing for each one of us. But as followers of Christ, we must understand, and and this is crucial, we must understand, if we fail to to grasp this point, our Christian life will will be filled with misery and will be filled with frustration. We must realize that there is a cost to discipleship. See, if we choose God, we are then rejecting everything that opposes God, all that opposes God. We are rejecting the worldly system. We are rejecting the attitudes and the attitudes and the passions and the actions that we all once had, that we once loved, that oppose God. Scripture tells us that friendship with the world, that is with the the anti-God world system, friendship with the world is enmity with God. See, if we're friends with the world, we are enemies with God. And Jesus told his disciples that if they hated me, that has hated Jesus, they will hate you. See, a servant is not above his master. If they hated our Lord, they will and they do hate us. And this is what we need to understand. See, if you're a Christian, this world is not your home. If you're a Christian, this world is not your home. If you're a Christian, you are a stranger and an alien in this world, in this fallen world. That's what Scripture tells us. See, we have been purchased for God. We have been purchased to dwell with him, to dwell with him in holiness. And if you are a Christian, you should feel that you just do not belong here in this world. You should say, I just don't fit in. And if you have that feeling, this is right. This is good. This is because you were made. You were made for a better world. You were made for a more noble world. You were made to dwell with God for all eternity. And what this means is we can no longer enjoy the things we did before we knew Christ. We can, we can try, but it just won't work. If we're truly born again, we will know that we don't fit in. We will be frustrated and we will be miserable. We say, I used to do this, but I will have no joy in doing it. We will be frustrated and miserable. But here's a warning. Here's a warning. If we find that we can live no differently, that we can think no differently, that we can act no differently than we once did before our conversion, than many in the world do right now, then we must seriously question whether or not we actually belong to Christ or do we belong to this world. See, my friends, there is a war going on. There is a war, a war between Satan and God. And the fallen world system is under the control of Satan. This doesn't mean that all unbelievers belong to Satan. No, not at all. The unbelievers, they are our mission field. But Satan controls the thinking, the world view, and it opposes God. See, unbelievers are are, are bewitched by by the satanic thinking. They are spiritually blind. They are being deceived. They don't consciously think that they're following Satan. No, of course not. Many of them consider themselves good and moral people. And they are good and moral people. If you look at it on a horizontal level, if you look at it from from man-to-man level, But unless they are born again, unless they are regenerate, they have no relationship with God. They are in enmity with God, just like each one of us were at one time. And here is a a simple test. 
A simple test you can do right now to see if you are regenerate. Simple test. And the question is, what do you think of the gospel? What do you think of the gospel? What do you think of the new, good news, the gospel of grace? And the good news starts with the bad news. Right? I talk about this many times. You can't have the good news without the bad news. And the bad news is this. Bad news is what we've heard in Ephesians, what we hear in multiple other places in Scripture. And that is that we are children of wrath by nature. We stand condemned by nature, by a holy God. The wages of sin is death. This is what we deserve by nature, on our own. We deserve God's displeasure. We deserve damnation. And the immediate response of of the unregenerate person to this, the person who does not know Christ, is, that's not fair. That's horrible. That's mean. You are hurting my feelings. You're being hateful to me. That's a microaggression against me. But the person who has experienced God's grace, he knows that this is perfectly fair. The person whose eyes have been opened to his own depravity and the holiness of God, he knows that fair is hell. And he knows this is what he deserves and he despairs of any hope in himself to change the situation. And this person is then ready for the good news. This person is then ready for the best news a sinner could ever hear. And we looked at it again before in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works that no one may boast. Yes, see, we have been saved by grace, through faith. This is not our own doing. It is a gift of God. It is all of God. There is nothing in it that we can boast of, that we can take credit of. And what specifically did God do? What did God do to remove the sin, to make us alive in Christ? Well, our sin was given to Christ. It was punished in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake God made him to become sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Our sin is punished in Christ. It is atoned for in Christ. And Christ's perfect righteousness is given to us, is rewarded in us. This is the gospel. This is the, the best news that a sinner can hear. And this is what I declare in every sermon. And we never outgrow the gospel. Paul declares in, in, in Romans 1, 16 and 17, the, the text I'm going to preach on this evening. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And our reaction to the gospel reveals the state of our souls. Do we love the gospel? Are we amazed by grace? Are we amazed by the mercy that God has shown to us? Is God's mercy the theme of our song? Do we want to shout it out at the rooftops? Or do we chafe at this? Do we reject this? Do we see this as narrow-minded? Do we consider this as as divine child abuse, barbaric? Beneath the dignity of my God, my God would never send anyone to hell for not believing in him. My God is much bigger than this. When a person who says that his God would never do this, this person is correct. He's right when he says it. Because his God is a figment of his own imagination. See, a wrathless, unholy God is not the God that we find in the Bible. 
So the first characteristic we see in this passage, the first characteristic that we should emulate, that we should look for in a role model, is that we must be converted. He must be converted. And we must realize that this fact alone will put us at odds with the world. The world will not see this as a worthy trait. They will not see this as a good thing. Rather, the world will hate this. The world will ridicule this. this the world will be filled with hatred toward this understanding. As I mentioned, there is a war going on. It's a war between Satan and God. And this fallen world system is under the control of Satan. And as Christians, we must battle. This war, although it has physical manifestations, this war is primarily not physical. It is spiritual. It is not fought using physical weapons. It's not used using, not fought using uh, physical tactics. We do not seek to destroy those who oppose us. We seek to convert them. Convert them through the gospel proclaiming the gospel, and through service. Both service to the saints and service to unbelievers. And we see this in our next characteristic of these unknown heroes and role models. The second is these unknown heroes and role models, they are servants. Take a look at the second half of verse 15. It says, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. The King James Version, if any of you have King James Version of this, Instead of saying devoted themselves, it actually says they addicted themselves. This conveys the, the idea of compulsion. This family, the household of Stephanus, not only did they serve the saints, but they were compelled to serve the saints. They had to, to serve the saints. They had the same compulsion that an alcoholic is compelled to take a drink. It's also almost like, a, like, a, like an uncontrolled desire, an uncontrolled devotion with which they served. And my friends, this is not natural. It's not natural. Even as Christians, even as Christians, we still are, are self-centered. We are still narcissists. We only think of ourselves. <clears throat> we only think of our needs. We only think of our, our comforts. And I'm preaching to myself as, as much as anyone else, as, as my wife can very clearly testify to that, that I only think of myself. See, we only want to be served, not to serve. And if we do serve... We want to serve in visible ways, not in, in ways that bring us glory, that are recognized by everyone, that everyone knows. But my friends, this is not service. This is self-promotion. Jesus warned us in, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6 of this. He said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then he tells them how we are to act, how, what real service looks like. He says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that, you, that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. See, God looks at our motivation. If we serve only out of what we're going to get out of it, only be noticed by others. This is not service. This is self-promotion. Now, God can and he does use service, all service for impure motives, because all of our motives are impure at some level. This does, in fact, help the people being served. But what happens is we get no benefit from the service. As Jesus said, they've received their own reward. Their reward is the recognition, the praise of men, but they're not getting the praise of God. And my friend, this sin is, is sneaky. It, it's sneaky. It, it's like the, you, you probably see it, and we laugh at it, but it's like the person who's, who's holding their cell phone to take a selfie as they're handing a dollar to a, to a beggar. 
and smile. Look how, and then probably when they're done with the photo, they take the dollar back. That's, it's sneaky, but all of us do this. But this wasn't the case with Stephanus. This wasn't the case with his household. They were devoted. They were compelled to service of the saints. And I even wonder if the whole reason that Paul doesn't list the names, doesn't mention the family members' names, is because he knows that they would not want public recognition. But they, would, they were known, known by those they served, but most importantly, known by God. And that's the way it is with people who are served. They don't want the glory. As a matter of fact, you give them the glory, they don't like it at all. And I see this even in the small church. Even in the small church, there's much service being done. Service that's not known by the congregation. Much is not even known by the officers. Not even known by me. You see people buying supplies. You know, there's there's uh, paper towels in the, in the bathrooms and, and buying food and, and washing toys for the nurseries and uh, cleaning out gutters and picking out pine cones out there, visiting shut-ins, driving people to doctor's appointments, making meals, buying supplies for the Salvation Army. Much as we don't know who's doing this, but God knows. And there are people who serve for no other reason than things need to be done. And it's a way to express their love for the saints and, most importantly, their love for Christ in a real and tangible way. Now, there is a gift of service, and there are people who go way over a board and sacrificial system, but, or sacrificial service. But every single Christian should be a servant. We can't cop out and say, well, you know, that's not my gift. I, I, don't, I have the gift of teaching, but I don't have the gift of service, so, so I'm off the hook here. No, you can't say I don't have the, the gift of service. You notice that there's not a gift of, of pointing out what other people should do. Some people think that that's a gift. I have the gift of, of pointing out and telling what other people should do. The gift of coming up with the great ideas that other people need to implement. I remember in a previous church that I attended, there was a person who was always coming up with the great ideas. He was the thinker of, of great things, things that needed to be done. And he would then bring them to the pastor. And the pastor would rightly say, that's a great idea. You have my blessing to do it. But he didn't want to do it. He wanted to give the idea and assign it to someone else, and they'll go think of another great idea. And I've learned from that, Pastor. I said, when people come to me with ministry ideas, I respond, if you feel led to that, great. You have my blessing. But we're a small church. We don't have staff to assign things out. If you want to run with an idea, that's up to you. If God puts it on your heart, definitely run with those ideas. But Jesus himself here gives us the ultimate example of this devotion to service. In the Gospel reading that Nathan read for us earlier, we see Jesus performing the lowest, the most unpleasant task. And I look at that and I say, I would not want to be doing that task of washing the disciples' feet. Every time I think of it, I think of if I'd have to wash Jack's feet. I, I would think about that. I said, that is a, I mean, say, all right, I'm not, I'm not that much of a servant. I just, I just put it there. But Jesus, our Lord, is doing this. And what he's showing is we must be willing to do this. We must be willing to take the lowest position, the least honored position, the position of service. So this is our second characteristic that we should look for in a role model. This is the second trait that we should seek to emulate. The third and the final characteristic of these unknown heroes is that they are encouraging. And we see this in verses 17 and 18. 17. He said, I rejoice in the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence. For they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. And Paul here rejoices at the coming of these men. They bring him joy. They bring him joy because they have refreshed his spirits. And it's not only did they refresh Paul's spirits, because it's, it's really easy. Paul is the big shot. Paul is the apostle. Of course they can kiss up to him. 
And, and, and oftentimes, you, 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 you look at the leader, you look at the person important, you can kiss up to him, but they did it to others. It was not just them. This was their natural disposition. This was the natural way that they were, these men. They were refreshing. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be refreshing? Well, it means to give new strength. It means to give energy. It means to, to revigorate, to, to replenish, to refuel someone. And this is what we do. This is what we do when we encourage someone else. We give them strength. We enable them to do things that they could not normally do. They could, this is what we do when we're an encourager. We are a refresher of others. And they, others are better because of us. And that's, that's the key. Others are better because they know us, because we do for us what we, what we do. There was a, a, a famous businessman, multimillionaire. And he and his wife, they were driving. Their, they got this new half-million-dollar sports car. And they're, as they're driving along, they stop at a gas station. The gas station attendant comes out. It was in New Jersey. It's the only uh, state where you actually can't pump your own gas. So the gas station attendant comes out. And they both immediately recognize the gas station, gas station attendant. And they chat, they chat with him. It turns out that they went to high school with this man. And, in fact, the wife used to date this man. So they chat with him for a little while. And then they, they leave. And as they're driving away, the businessman's feeling kind of smug with himself. And he looks over at his wife. And he says, that was your first boyfriend, wasn't it? She goes, yes, dear, it was. And he's kind of smiling again, smug with himself. And he goes, I think sure would be different if you married him instead of me. And the wife said, sure would. You'd be working at a gas station and he'd be sitting next to me in this car. <laughs> see, we don't know the whole story now. We see successful people and we think it's because of them. We think you're self-made, but that's not the case. That's never the case. There are always countless of other people, other people helping them, encouraging them, praying for them. And it was these other people, these other people who contribute to the outward success that we attribute to the, the individual. And when we get to glory, when we are in, in heaven, when we see things as they really are, we'll understand what was going on. See, we will understand the role that different people played. See, not many of us are just are destined to be that uh, multi-million dollar uh, uh, millionaire uh, businessman. Not many of us are, are destined to be that front guy that everyone knows that gets the credit for all the great things that God does through him or her. But each one of us, each one of us could be that unknown hero behind the scenes, encouraging, refreshing, praying, prayer warrior, pray, playing a, a real part in the success of this front person. And in this role, we are both effective in building up God's kingdom and also effective in bringing God glory. And that's what we want to do. That's our chief end, to bring God's glo God glory. And we can do this. No one else will know, but we can have a real impact. It's not like we're lazy. It's not like we're doing nothing. We are having a real impact for the kingdom. And all the while being protected, being protected from the pride. See, there's a pride that comes with this outward recognition, with everyone worshiping you, everyone seeing you. There's a, there's a real danger, but we can be protected from that. And my dad had a, had a saying. He said, there's no limit to what a person can accomplish if they don't care who gets the credit. I mean, think about it. There's no limit to what you can get accomplished if you don't care who gets the credit. See, we all know Paul. But there are countless others, people like Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus and many others that are not even named who encouraged, who refreshed, who prayed for Paul and enabled him to be used by God the way that he was used. And my friends, they too share the glory, the glory of what God done had, had did through Paul and contributed to his success. 
they get to share in what God has done. About 16 or 17 years ago, I remember attending a church with, with Bonnie in, in, in Tampa, Florida. It was called uh, Pomacea Presbyterian Church. And I don't remember much about, I don't remember the name of the pastor. I don't remember much about the sermon or even the text. But there was one line that I remember. And the, and the preacher said that as Christians, we are not called to significance, but rather we are called to love other people into significance. And that stuck with me. We are not called to significance. We are called to love other people into significance. And we do this, I think, first and foremost by loving others enough to share with them the gospel, to share the gospel with them so that they are converted, so that they are known by God, that they have eternal life. They are new creations in Christ. We also do this by devoting ourselves to serving them, serving behind the scenes in in humble ways, in, in, in low ways for them. And what, we do this by bringing refreshment, by being encouragement, and earnestly praying for others. See, most people will never know our names. Maybe even the, the very people that we are loving into significance will never know our names. But Christ knows our names. And he will personally reward all of us, all of us who in the world's eyes are unknown. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, each of us are unknown, but each of us want to seek our own glory. Help us to have the attitude that it's not our glory, but your glory that matters. Your glory only. And there are so many ways that we can do it. It is true. If we don't care who gets the credit, there is so much good, so much glory we can bring to you. So, Father, I pray that for each one who hears my voice, I pray first and foremost that if there are any who do not know you, Lord, that you will change that at this very moment, that they will come and become new creations in Christ. And then for the rest of us, Father, I pray that our mission in life will be to love other people into significance. Love them into significance by first and foremost sharing the gospel so that they can become part of your family. They can become your beloved children. And then beyond that, that we will take the humble and the low positions of service for others. And that we will encourage others. We will be praying for others. Not even, not even for ourselves, but be praying for others to get the glory, others to get the recognition. And Father, always looking at your Son, Jesus Christ, as not only our example, but the one who enables us to even have that attitude and to accomplish that purpose. We pray in his name for his glory. Amen.